everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hoopercast Movie Hour number 275. It is Monday, October 26th, 2020. Won't be long. We'll be out of this year. And uh, and maybe nothing will change. Uh, so sorry to depress you right off the bat. Um, if you'd like to be less depressed about the real world, you can follow us on social media, which right now for me consists of my Twitter at Connor underscore Dempsey. I tweet about movies and pop culture. I try not to get involved in um, <clears throat> in the real world. I, I, I just talk about the Matrix. Um, but no, really, I talk about film news and um, stuff like that, stuff that I talk about on this show. I don't try to stick my nose where I don't have expertise and, uh, and uh, keep those sorts of opinions to myself. Um, but with movies, very much, I keep my opinion out here for all to consume and to um, uh, disagree with uh, as much as possible. Um, if you want to tell me your opinions about the films or the topics we're talking about on this show, um, or if you disagree with mine or Dustin's, uh, you can also get in touch with us through the email address at Hooper, sorry, not at Hooper, I'm <laughs> getting up, mixed up between Twitter and email. Hoopercast at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, email us. You might be the first. And um, Dustin's is uh, at Dustin Weldon on Twitter. So yeah, um, we're not really checking Facebook or Instagram really for, for messages. So if you have stuff for us, DM us. As the kids say, slide into our DMs or slide into our email. And we'll uh, we'll see you on that. So yeah, uh, YouTube page as well, youtube.com slash Hoopercast. Sometimes we put the videos up there of the show, the video portions of the show. But the main show, of course, is what you've come to tonight, which is the audio. So welcome. Thank you for finding the show wherever you listened to your podcasts, wherever you are now. That's where we are. Good for you. Um, tonight, we got a few things to talk about. Obviously, I am alone. Dustin does not. I do not make Dustin sit in silence for this long while I just talk about the social media engagement. So as you may have guessed, Dustin is not here tonight, as I said in the last episode and many episodes before that, Dustin is off for a couple more weeks uh, doing seasonal, busy, busy stuff for his job. So I'm holding it down uh, as much as needs to be held down. And uh, it's going to be you and me tonight uh, talking about a few things. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is... Um, well, I'm going to throw you all a curveball. Um, this is not on the, this is nowhere on social media that I did tease today uh, to the extent that I am doing that currently. Um, but I wanted to just briefly pop in and talk about a show, a little show, a little docu-series on Netflix called The Goop Lab. What we try to do at Goop is to explore ideas that may seem out there or too scary. Are you guys ready to go out in the field and make a ruckus? Just another day at the office. <laughs> I had an exorcism. Oh, wow. I went through years of therapy in about five hours. I started to feel like a panic attack coming on. She knew something that my husband didn't even know. You want to talk about Y'all didn't think I watched TV like this, did you? You thought, oh, Connor's not going to get into any of that you know pr progressive content open-minded <laughs> mumbo female mumbo jumbo uh but i have uh and i i can't i literally can't and won't explain why um i i i this this show came out what year did this even come out i don't know i i don't have the information pulled i didn't even know i was going to talk about this until right before i mentioned it you guys so um, this is all off the cuff here. Uh, I believe the show premiered earlier this year or late last year on Netflix, but it's a, it's a docu-series. It's one season out so far. I think it's six episodes maybe. Um, but if you don't know, Goop is technically, it's a magazine, but it's a, it's a company and it's Gwyneth Paltrow's company. Um, anything you've been hearing lately on the, in the news about her making candles that are, that are much like parts of women's bodies and, uh, and other kind of, um, interesting and, uh, uh, unique products. Um, that's her whole hustle. And, uh, that's really her whole, you know, that's like her main hustle. Really. I, I don't, I don't want to even call it her side hustle. It's like, you know, she's an actress and she's a producer, but like, uh, actor and producer, but, but 
but once that company got started, that kind of became her thing. That kind of became her identity and, and the way she defined herself and her, and her, her value and her worth as, as a brand. So, uh, Goop is pretty successful. I think, um, it's not like, I don't think it's breaking into the mainstream, like, you know, Southern homes and gardens or anything like that, but it's, it's a, it's a pretty well-known brand among the, those demographics that, you know, might indulge in it. So, um, and part of how they expand that brand is making this documentary. And, uh, I found it pretty interesting. Uh, what the show is, is it is, um, the staff of Goop, the senior staff of Goop and, you know, maybe some junior staff, but, you know, an ensemble of employees of Goop and Gwyneth Paltrow are spending each episode kind of exploring a particular, um, uh, a tenet of wellness, um, or fulfillment, which is the whole goop brand. So, um, what, what would draw you to the show is wanting to see certain topics discussed and explored, uh, by, um, wellness journalists, basically wellness writers and content providers and, um, uh, people in, in that field. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a lure of star power, like, Oh, Gwyneth Paltrow's in this, but you know, as, as much as she's a draw for the company in and of itself, I mean, it's just, if you're, if you're, if you're into this, you're going to check it out. And if you're not, you won't. Um, I, as a male, uh, found it interesting, um, and a little strange and certain episodes were a little bit, um, out of my field, shall we say, <laughs> um, check it out and figure out those for yourself. Um, but there's some really cool topics discussed that I knew a little bit about and didn't necessarily learn much new stuff. But if you, that's because I follow topics like this. I do follow, uh, wellness, uh, um, discussions to an extent on through podcasts and books and philosophy and, um, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm aware of these sorts of things. So this show is not my, it's sort of similar to how, uh, the social dilemma did not introduce me to any concepts that I was unfamiliar with or un, uneducated on. Um, goop, the goop lab doesn't expose me to many concepts or practices that I didn't know about, although it did do that more than the social dilemma did for social media use. So, um, there's an episode about like, um, they get it with this guy, Wim Hof, who's this person who developed, um, this, this whole lifestyle around, um, uh, cold exposure. So that whole episode is talking about how exposing yourself to extreme cold, um, what that does for your heat shock proteins and your immune system and inflammation and anxiety. And your it just, it's, 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 there's a whole science behind it. And, um, and it's, it's, interesting because you don't think of just jumping into an icy lake as something that can be good for you possibly. And you can see the effect it has on these, on these staffers. And it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty mind blowing stuff. I gotta say, um, there's an episode on psychedelics. They all, uh, partake in, I think they crush. it's not ayahuasca. What do they do? They, they crush up, uh, I think they have, I think they crush mushrooms into tea and they all, um, do that. And, and that you sort of experience and view for yourself, this, this, this healing effect that it has on these people, um, and how it helps them deal with their trauma and their, um, their emotional baggage, um, and just destigmatizing things that may seem strange. It's not like a gimmicky show, but just practices that are, that are being out there, they're, they're sort of gaining traction and they want to see for themselves. There's a bunch of, there's a whole episode about female pleasure that you can check out. Um, there's a, I only laugh because I'm so uncomfortable talking about this on this show. So that's as far as I'm going to go with that one. Um, there's a, there's an episode about, um, uh, um, oh, uh, like, uh, like skincare, like anti-aging, you know? And so of course the show is mainly appealing to women, but I can tell you as a man that I found it interesting. And so if you're, if you're like a super like alpha male, you know, uh, 
not into, you know, you don't want to hear your wife talk about her, her menstrual cycle or stuff like that. Uh, this show's not for you. You will be weirded out by it. You will, you'll be very uncomfortable and, um, you probably don't even listen to my show. So, uh, hello. But, um, but if you're open-minded about stuff like that, or if you're curious or you just like, you, you like learning stuff in general, I think that this is an interesting show. It just, it is out there in terms of what it's, um, what it's showing you. It's not shy about its subject matter. So if you are, then this is not for you. I would give the Goop Project, the Goop Lab, keep thinking the Mindy Project, <laughs> um, the the Goop Lab, I guess I'd give it three and a half so far. Again, it, there's not there's not as much there for me as I would want, but I think that I think that's an above average uh, docu series, and I think that people should check it out if you're at all interested in this uh, wellness topics. So that's what I have to say about that. Okay, I'm gonna lubricate up with some water here. Um, woo. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't want to put you through another movie with that scratchiness. Still got it. Wow. Okay, well, how about this? I'm going to drink more water, and we're going to talk about tonight's feature uh, review, which uh, may not be even as long as the Goop Lab review. Uh, a classic, a modern classic amongst many people. I've seen it for the first time. The film, of course is Hocus Pocus. Back in 1693, the people of Salem, Massachusetts... Witches! Yes? ...thought they got rid of the Sanderson sisters for good. Uh, we shall be back! 300 years later, it's Halloween Eve, and they're back. Uh-oh. We are home! Are you boys a little old to be trick-or-treating? Hocus Pocus came out in 1993, directed by Kenny Ortega. Interesting because Kenny Ortega, my first exposure to him was the Michael Jackson "This Is It" concert. Well, not even concert movie. The 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 behind the scenes concert movie of uh, Michael Jackson's last tour. What was to be his last tour? Um, and that's how I got exposed to Kenny Ortega. Kenny Ortega has this whole other career. Before all that, obviously, as people tend to do, um, and one of them was directing this film among uh, other Disney, uh, other Disney films, Disney sitcoms. He's he's a, he's a company man, I guess, in a way. Um, but uh, Kenny Ortega is the director, and uh, this is the, of course, um, very well-known uh, Halloween film uh, starring Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Jimmy as the Sanderson sisters. They're three witches in 1693 and they're causing trouble and they're kidnapping little kids and sucking their souls out so they can stay young and uh turning people into cats and uh all kinds of crazy shit and um and uh, and, and they're they're caught by the townspeople and they are hanged uh and this is in salem massachusetts so of course this you know it's during the the witch trials and uh and part of uh Part of what happens upon their death is that she, um, Bette Midler's character Winnie, um, pretty much puts out like this incantation that they'll 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 come back when when the Virgin lights the black candle or something and blah blah blah. So three hundred years later in nineteen ninety three that happens, and the 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 Sanderson sisters are resurrected and they have on Halloween night and they have one chance to um, to make their um, resurrection permanent and come back and and you know kill all the children in the town it's a really dark premise um but it's an extremely hammy film um i i don't have much to say about this movie um i say that and then i launch into like a 50 12 minute diatribe about something but um so like i said this is my first time seeing this movie um and uh i gave it three stars thought it was okay uh, you know, for me, this is, I'm walking into a movie that people are gaga over. And of course my reaction to that is like, okay. I mean, it doesn't, I don't know why it's so like every clip I've seen of Hocus Pocus is strange and not in a good way. Just like, oh, okay. That's unexpected, I guess. But people are like obsessed with this movie. And back when I was 
now I get to say that super pretentious thing. Back when I was using Facebook, like every Halloween meme is is hocus pocus, and just people would talk about it. And I'm just like, oh my god, okay, fine. My wife and I were sitting down last Sunday night last night. We're like, I don't know, you want to watch something light? We're on Disney Plus, and we realized they have Hocus Pocus on there. All right, let's watch Hocus Pocus. Uh, and it was it was fun enough. I was I was falling asleep during it though. Um, I thought the movie was uh, interesting. It seemed like a lot of fun for everybody involved. Um, for me, um, it gets boring. Um, and look, I, I don't get a lot of sleep. And so I, I'm, I, I'm not the best late night movie watcher. So that could be part of it. But the night before that, we watched a different film and I had, I had twice as much to drink. I was twice as tired and the movie was, uh, 40 minutes longer. And I sat at attention and watched that whole thing. So under the right circumstances, I can stay awake and watch the, a movie. So if it's, if you know, this, this is an average, it's an average, average film, um, me falling asleep doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not excellent. Um, just the way it is. Um, doesn't get my heart pumping. Doesn't keep my brain, uh, engaged. Just a bunch of silliness. Uh, and that's why people like it. I'm not, I'm not, uh, trying to, you know, talk down on anyone who likes this movie. Uh, I just, um, I have no desire to watch it ever again. Um, I have a lot of appreciation for the three sisters. I think that the, the, I, I don't even know how to say that. Oh, the, the casting is good. Cause I don't have opinions on what the casting would have been. If I, what am I, what are my grounds for saying the casting is bad? I don't have any. Uh, so my, you know, my, my statement, take it with a grain of salt. The casting is really good of these, of these, three sisters. I, I love the three of them together. They have great chemistry. Sarah Jessica Parker is obviously the, I've never seen her in a role like this before. And, um, Kathy and Jimmy, I have, cause she, all she does is play silly side characters and bet, met, bet Midler is really good in the movie as well. And, um, and they're just, they're having fun. They're having a whole lot of fun. The movie's a lot of fun. It's just not my thing. Um, so no offense to the people who love Hocus Pocus, I'm, I'm not in that camp. I give it, I give it three stars. It's, it's, I see what's fun about it. That's great. Good, good for you. Uh, not for me, <laughs> uh, not for me, but I'm glad that, that, that we knocked that one out because it, that's, that is one of my cultural blind spots, like it or not, Hocus Pocus. I would consider that one of those cultural touchstones for a lot of people, uh, my age in their thirties where, um, you know, it was a little before my time, but you know, it was within the, the, within a few years of coming out, I could have potentially seen this. Um, of course with my, with my parents record showing, letting me be exposed to stuff with witches probably, uh, probably wasn't going to happen in my childhood. Maybe that's why it didn't happen. Maybe it's cause it was silly. Maybe my, my dad hates Bette Midler. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but uh, yeah, that's Hocus Pocus. A lot of fil- people find the, f- the film iconic. Good for them, I suppose. All right. That was shorter than I was expecting. Uh, should I talk about another movie before I go to... No, I don't have the energy to do that. All right. How about this? We're going to go for a break. Go ahead and run to break. When we come back, got some film news items I want to discuss with you, including some streaming stuff with Disney and um, uh, a couple things... Uh, couple of uh, uh announcements uh, or in milestones for movies in production or about to be in production and uh, so yeah we'll talk about that soon come right back Woo, this was a super early uh first block but uh what can i say i'm by myself and i'm tired be right back on the hoopercast movie hour I'm back. Show is back. 
Uh, like I said, uh, if you want to follow the show, you can follow the hosts uh, at Connor underscore Dempsey on Twitter, at Dustin Weldon on Twitter as well, Hoopercast on Instagram, and uh, the Hoopercast Movie Hour Facebook page, uh, where we'll post uh, at least the links to this show. So if you're here already, uh, to you don't need all that you found another way or you already know i gotta tell you i picked a really strange night to actually like put out a picture that the podcast was about to start recording uh on twitter uh it's monday night it's october 26th and if you're listening to this you know that uh and it's about 8 30 it's 8 30 p.m central time uh and if you if you're if, if you're thinking back to what what was going on at this time, at this time, this night, there's a lot of stuff happening in Washington right now. And I picked a really bad time to try and pop on Twitter and go, hey, uh, just wanted to bring your attention to me for a second. <laughs> uh, not exactly a slow night on the Internet, so we'll leave it at that. All right, let's uh, let's talk some film news tonight. I wanted to discuss um, a few items with uh, with you listeners Um that I said I would talk about last week. And uh, so I put out a couple of these. One of the reasons you can follow the show on Twitter or follow me on Twitter is I like to put out these articles beforehand just to get, just to fill your brain with the kind of stuff that I'm thinking about uh, on Monday and um, from over the weekend and from the previous week and the stuff that I want to talk about. So um, if you want to get any sort of advanced insight into what we're talking about on the show, that's how you do it. You go on to uh, Twitter and you follow me. Um, but one of the things, one of the things I did share um, was this, uh, this article. Now look, these next couple articles are not new, but we haven't talked about them on the show and they're obviously still relevant and will be for a long time. So um, if you're curious to know my thoughts on the Disney announcement, then uh, this is what I'm talking about. So uh, this is on IndieWire. The, uh, the, the uh, headline is Disney pivots to streaming as CEO says films and TV go wherever they earn the most money. So um, this is big. This is big news. So in case you didn't hear about this, so you don't read or whatever, um, this is the, this is the announcement. So this was the, again, this is October 12th. This was almost, this was, you know, it's a couple weeks ago. Um, Disney, which owns Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, and is the dominant force at the domestic box office will no longer produce any film with the assumption that it will get a theatrical release. Instead, the next MCU installment could be exclusively to Disney Plus or available for $30 rental. It depends on what the newly reorganized Disney decides is best, and often the answer will be streaming. So here's the uh, and here's the quote from the CEO of Disney, Bob, Bob Chapek. Uh, this is in an interview with CNBC. Um, shortly after re-announcing the reorganization after market close, quote, um, we want to make the optimal decision for the company as opposed to somehow have it predetermined that a movie is destined for theaters or that a TV show is destined for ABC. So, of course, the stock market reacted positively to this. The stock rose, it says, 5.4% in after-hours trading. Um, yeah. So, um, um, sorry. Okay, so Bob Chapek continued. Uh, the consumers are actually going to be who makes these decisions. They're going to lead us in the way that they make their transactional decisions. Right now, they're voting with their pocketbooks and they're voting very heavily towards Disney+. Plus. What we want to do is make sure we're going to go the way that consumers want us to go. So it's it's not a shocking announcement. It seems shocking because the day is finally here. But if you've been listening to this show, we've been talking about this for years. If you've been reading any film news at all, um, or if you just sat and thought about it for a long enough time, this shouldn't be a shock to you. This is this is the way it was going. We talk all the time about how the coronavirus accelerated a, a, a trend that was already moving slower uh, into the fast lane uh, and moved it up to the front of the line. Um, and what Disney is saying is we're, we're going to, uh, we're going to follow we're, we're, we don't, we don't need to do this the way we don't, we need, we don't need to do things the way we've been doing them. We can do a different way. Like we can, we're Disney, but like what they're, what, what this is doing with the ripple effect, this is going to have on the industry is everyone's going to go, if Disney thinks they can do this, so can we, and we have to figure out how we're going to do it or we're going to get left behind. Um, 
Yeah. So, so there's some restructuring. There's a whole different, uh, there's a whole division of Disney of media and entertainment distribution. They've got, um, this guy, uh, what's his name? Kareem Daniel heading it up, um, including the company's streaming services, distribution services. Um, and of course he says, you know, the pandemic accelerated the rate at which we made this transaction quote, this transaction was going to happen anyway. It's exactly, I've got, this is the first of three articles tonight where someone has said what we've been saying on the show, this was going to happen, but now it's here now instead of a few years from now. Um, so uh, let's see. While the pandemic has wounded some of Disney's key revenue streams, including theatrical grosses, theme parks, and TV ad sales, the company found runaway success with Disney Plus. Less than a year after its launch, it's reached 60.5 million worldwide subscribers, making it number three service after Netflix and Amazon. That puts Disney at the threshold of its 60 million to 90 million subscribers it told investors it would reach by 2024. Um, so then we've got the whole history with Mulan and soul and, uh, the different ways that they decided to put those out, uh, Mulan with a premium charge soul without a premium charge will be in December, uh, Christmas. And, um, so there's that, um, yeah. So the article goes on, even with billions in annual theatrical grosses for Disney, it is more is about more than money. The theatrical platform helped turn the studio's IP into it. This grammar's all over the place. The theatrical platform helps turn or helped turn the studio's IP into events, drumming up excitement from a dedicated fandom eager to buy tickets to theme parks, subscribe to Disney Plus, and buy stuffed baby Yodas. In the face of plummeting box office and theme park revenue, the pandemic forced Disney to lean into a new strategy. Chapek said Disney wants to make sure we continue to give consumers the option of watching films in theaters. Quote, but at the same time, there's a lot of consumers that want to experience movies in the safety, comfort, and convenience of their own home. Um, so there's another investor call on December 10th where he's going to announce more details about that. Um, so the article says an early indication might be found in the opening paragraph of the Disney press release announcing its reorganization. Here's the opening Here's the opening sentence. Disney's first class creative engines will focus on developing and producing original content for the company's streaming services, as well as for legacy platforms. So yeah, it, it sees the theaters as a legacy platform. So again, I'm going to represent Dustin here and many other people, uh, in the industry. Um, a lot of people see this as the beginning of the end for the movie theaters. Um, we've been through the over and over again, the preciousness and the value of seeing the film in the theaters for a whole lot of people. And that's still there. And we'll go into that in a minute with this, with one of these next stories. Um, so two ways to read this news. One is, all right, well, look, there's not even two ways. What this is going to do is this is a large company telling an entire, uh, business model, business industry, um, the the vendors, sorry, the exhibitors, telling them we don't really need y'all in order to make and release films and make money from them. And that's what the theaters already knew when all these people started getting their own distribution platforms was, oh, okay, we better adapt to this uh, by the time they're finished sorting that out or we're screwed. Now it's accelerated and we're already here trying to figure out what to do about it. Um, so such a large company and entertainment entity as Disney is, this is uh, really, really bad news for the theaters. Um, now I'm going to say this. Um, I personally am not bothered by this news one bit. And I think that one reason why is, um, yeah, proximity bias. I don't even know if that's a term. Um, I'm a father of three. I don't, time is something I don't have. Um, it's way easier for me and way more convenient for me to watch a new release in my own home, unless it does cost $30. Then I really can't do that. Although I could do that half as much as I would go out to the theater and spend that money. Um, but I, I benefit from this, uh, this move. So it's hard for me to say, oh, this is terrible, because for me, it's not. And for me, it means I get to see more movies. And I think that Disney 
is reading the room and in the, in the studios for the first time are reading the room and saying, not for the first time, but they're actually reading the room and acknowledging, obviously right now we need to do this because the pandemic, but like, there's a lot of people think about how many families out there can't go to the movies because they can't get a babysitter and they don't go to, and they, they don't even take their kids to the theaters because their kids can't behave out in public. So they never get to go anywhere. Um, just all the people who don't go to theaters because of those parents who do bring their their poorly behaved kids out to the movies um, and ruins the good time. There's a whole lot of people who don't go out to the movies because they just keep having a bad experience because the whole system is poorly maintained for the most part. Again, we've talked about that in previous episodes. I don't want to repeat myself. Um so think about all those people who don't go to the movies. It, it, it doesn't mean they don't like the experience, the, the, the idea of the experience. It doesn't mean that they don't like, um, you know, the, 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 the collective, the shared, the shared emotional catharsis of seeing a movie with an audience and experiencing the story with them and all that stuff. That's all well and good, but they don't care if it sucks for them every time they do it. So here Disney is saying, we're not going to produce with the assumption in mind that this will, that this film necessarily will go to theaters. Um, now I'm of the op- optimistic mindset that what this will do is lead. Uh, uh, and they even said, it's not like we're going to stop putting movies in theaters, but we're not going to the whole thing where we put the movie in theaters for 75 to 90 days and then we can put it on our own platform or then we can put it on the DVD and Blu-ray. Um, that's not happening anymore. And it doesn't have to. Um, cause now, now we really have all these people who are sitting at home. All right. Sorry. I'm back. Uh, my kids are acting up and I forgot what I was talking about. So, uh, I gotta be honest. I might, I don't know. My train of thoughts, uh, gone now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm personally not bothered by this, uh, but it does advance this whole theater exhibitor issue with, uh, with the studios. So, uh, that's not going to get any, um, easier or less complicated as, uh, as things go on. All right. One of the next things that I talked about shared on Twitter was this, uh, it's another IndieWire story. Um, can I open this please? We'd love to open the link. Um, let's see. Whoa, what is this? What is, come on now. Open the link. All right, well. Um, also an IndieWire. Why would studios suggest abandoning theaters? Some logic behind the strategy. Um, so here's the, uh, well, open this. Having some trouble opening links tonight. Here it is. So this, uh, this is by Tom Brueger, Brueggemann, Brueggemann, October 14th. Again, this is a while ago, but the, the, the substance of the article still stands. Um, so it's going mainly off the Disney announcement to, as its preamble. Um, so he writes, For a century, theaters were the most efficient way for studios to initially exhibit and market films. It brought the titles maximum attention and set them up for future revenue streams. Theatrical exhibition also demands enormous marketing expense and locks studios into 75 to 90 days of exclusivity when customers would prefer home access sooner. Other issues, studios must share half of their revenue with theaters. It requires a dedicated distribution staff and leaves studios reliant on a business beyond their control. Um, even with these drawbacks over the years, with the introduction of each ancillary model, television, video, cable, DVDs, streaming, and VOD, theater's centrality went largely unchallenged. That changed with the onset of COVID-19, a force majeure that forced everyone to reckon with a long-simmering suspicion. Maybe theaters weren't the best and only way. Exhibitors and some distributors vehemently disagree. It's the only way to see movies the way they were meant to be seen, and it's the only way to have the shared theatrical experience. When the pandemic made all that impossible, many studios pushed their films to dates, you know, up to a year away, and just hoped that pretty much, I'm going off off the, off script here, basically hoped that by the time that a year had passed, that people would be able to come to the theaters, and they're just sort of uh, holding on hope. Um, but as the article points out, quote, worldwide, Leader AMC revealed it may run out of cash by early 2021, and they'd likely declare bankruptcy before doing so. Um, 
others see it differently. Paramount Pictures sold off a half a dozen titles to streamers like Netflix and Amazon, taking hard cash over an ambiguous future. Universal began to experiment with PVOD, which also provided a much quicker and more direct payoff. And now Disney has a whole new division dedicated to the idea that the theatrical experience is only one platform among many and a legacy platform at that. Um, da, 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 da. So the theater audience has been shrinking for decades. Um, uh, so this is the part of the article that I'm most interested in. Okay. Here he goes. Quote, theatrical audiences have been shrinking for decades. So has the concept of what constitutes a viable theatrical release. Production, distribution, and exhibition costs demand global, wide audience hits, which come from franchises, comic book characters, horror films, sequels, and animation. Dramas and comedies were eight of the top ten films of 1980. But 40 years later, those genres are now risky. It makes no sense now for studios to make 10, 20 million dollar films, each with its own marketing costs, rather than one 200 million dollar effort. Meanwhile, studios watch Netflix and other streamers create businesses that don't target the masses as a unit. They view the audience as a global, near infinite set of niches that don't demand the latest FX or the biggest screen. Uh, so then talks about a bunch of other stuff. And uh, so um, the point of all this is. Of, of what I didn't cover in the last story. Um, you have to, I mean, obviously like business is going to want to make the most money possible, but it's also another reason is because it's just, it, it it's, it's cause I wondered too, for a while, like God, how can you possibly make money just by getting people onto your streaming service? And maybe there's downstream um, stuff coming for the streaming services that, that are more lucrative for the studios, like ads or premium um, memberships which I have an idea about that, by the way. Um, but what they definitely are, are decreased overhead. Um, it's so much cheaper to market a movie, I would think, for a streaming service uh, than a theater. You don't have to do anything. Just just drop it on there one day. And people will figure, just tell people what day it's just, all you do is put out a press release. Hey, this movie's coming out. Here's a trailer. Uh, here's the date. It's going to be on Disney+. Plus. No billboards, no nothing like nothing like that. That's it. But it's uh, definitely cheaper not to share any of the profits or most of the profits, or you know half of all profits with the exhibitors. It's wild, I know. Um, but I'm into it. I gotta say, I'm into it. I'm excited for because again, the main reason I'm optimistic about it. Forget what it does to the theater industry, because I'm sorry, but that's a lost cause that's happening. That's not going, that's whatever. Um, what it's going to do for the actual content and quality of movies that we're getting is now, so for the longest time, and I talked about this after I read the big picture, um, and we talk about it on the show all the time. The, the reason we get blockbusters and sequels and 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 um, intellectual properties we already are familiar with, built-in audiences, is because that is what it takes to successfully pull off a large uh, a large gamble in Hollywood that's worth dumping all this money into marketing and distribution. Um, it's these big, sure thing properties. So that's why there's less risk, and that's why everything seems bigger and more action and 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 less dramatic or intimate is because that's what sells, that's what gets the masses into the seats. So if you no longer have to fight to get the masses into seats, and you're just putting out content mainly on the platform that you control behind a paywall, then you can start making stuff. I mean, Dustin and I said when Disney Plus launched, this might be a good thing. And, and, and Netflix and Amazon too. Along with the TV properties they can develop, they can also develop the mid-budget films, the films that cost $10 million and you know didn't have to make a huge profit. And now if you take away the overhead of having to market and distribute a $10 million film, um, that you're afraid people won't see because the subject matter is too complex or it doesn't appear to appeal to the four quadrant demographic. That kind of film is more likely to get made now, I think, because there's because some of the barriers to entry have been have been removed by this announcement. I think. Does anybody else see it that way? That's how I see it. Uh, so that that's good, right? I mean, think about Togo. I enjoyed Togo. On Disney Plus, fun little sled movie, um, a little movie about a, a sled dog. True story. 
and fine film. Saw it on Disney Plus, didn't pay anything for it. Enjoyed it. Glad it was there. Now, I don't know how Disney makes the money to recoup the costs of Togo. Surely the monthly subscribership, is. does that cover the cost? Does that just gives you this floating budget that you can always pay for? I don't know. Um, the thing that I'm wondering if what does this, what comes with this is on the heels of all this, they're talking about not knowing yet, um, exactly how they would put content out on Disney plus and, um, what exactly that would mean. They, 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 they didn't commit to any sort of, um, rules or structure when it comes to um what will get released on disney plus primarily what will what will still go into theaters what will go in what will not go into theaters what would go exclusively on disney plus and when so they are sort of reserving the right to talk amongst themselves about what the best thing would go the best thing would be and so what they're probably going to do is some fluid at least in the beginning some fluid thing of like well some of these movies, like these middle budget films we want to make, we're not putting those in theaters because we don't think people are going to come see them and we're not going to spend the money to market and distribute them. So that, that stuff's not coming to the theaters anyway. And, and 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 the stuff that will come to theaters, maybe like the next Avengers movie, the next Marvel movie, the next this movie, the next family movie, the next big family film. Um, but we're also going to put down Disney Plus at the same time. And so that way families don't have to leave home to see it. But the people who are dying to get out or the people who are dying to go out on a date and watch a movie that their kids can't see, you know, we'll put that stuff in theaters because we want, we want to give them a place to watch it away from their homes, a reason to go out and, you know, reason for the distributors to make money. Now I think that model can be good for the theaters because a theater doesn't have to hold, doesn't have to take up a screen to show some weird indie film that Disney made through touchstone. That's just, you know, that's this for adults and, and isn't as much of a draw for going out to the, out to the movie theater. They can, they can put more screens in there of the Marvel film. Again, people complain that that's what theaters were becoming already. Well, they're just, they're taking up more and more screens for more and more big films. Cause that's what the studios want, but that's how they make money. I'm sure if you said, Oh, do whatever you want. Oh, well, we're going to put um, the crying game too or whatever, um, on one of these screens. Who's paying to see that? Who's paying to see that? But if you made the, the cry, I don't even know what the crying game's about. If you make the crying game too through touchstone and you just put it on Disney plus the people who want to see that will go on there and see it. The people who are already subscribed, obviously are like, Oh cool. We already have access. People who really want to see the crying game too. that niche audience is like, Oh, Oh, it's on Disney plus. All right, well let's get them one month free subscription and we'll check out this movie. And then while we're on the platform, we'll see what else they have to offer. And Hey, maybe we'll stick around and can, and pay for a year long subscription. Um, so that could be one way it goes. They, they do simul they keep the mid budget stuff solely on Disney plus for those hardcore people, the niche audiences of those films to go and find them if they really want to see them and, you know, measure their metrics and figure out if they should make more of them or not. And then the big stuff will go to both places. We'll go to Disney plus and PVOD. So it can go, you know, uh, or sorry, Disney plus, uh, maybe PVOD, but definitely to the theaters. Now here's my next question. Let's say that is the model. Yes, Connor, you're right. You predicted it solely. So now in this scenario, I'm in the Disney boardroom. I'm talking to Bob Iger and Bob Chapek and all those people and Alan Horn. I'm like, all right. So I've correctly predicted that this is your business model. Um, Mid-budget goes on the platform. Uh, big budget goes on both platforms. Oh, Connor, how'd you guess? Uh -huh, well, <laughs> you see, gentlemen and ladies, uh, it wasn't that hard to guess. Um, now... Um, oh, but Connor, can you get more specific? What, what, what else? What do you think we're going to do next? All right, here's what I think you're going to do after that. I think you're going to establish that as the baseline platform. You're going to get everybody used to that. Here's what it's going to be. Let's just make sure this can even sustain itself this way. Okay, once you've got your hooks in that way, here's what I think is going to happen next. I think Disney, Disney and whoever else decides to do this by then will go, okay, uh, now we are going to release now it's 2024 or something or 2025. And, um, we've got, uh, well, this is a bad example, I guess, but Marvel, um, no, not a bad example. 
I don't think they would do exactly like this, but I'm just here. Here's an, here's a movie as an example. All right. We've got this, the new Avengers films. We've got the secret wars movie that they made. It's going to be huge. I mean, even bigger than the infinity war. We've got secret wars, uh, coming out May 3rd, 2025. Okay. Um, for the first, let's just call it two weeks, just two weeks. That's all we take for this film for the first two weeks of its release. It is on Disney Plus exclusively. And the theaters can have it two weeks later. So, of course, the theater's like, fuck. (laughs) The theater's like, oh, no. Because how much money do those movies make in an opening weekend? And so how much money are the theaters now going to miss out on because they are keeping that first two weeks, that juicy, juicy two weeks for their own platform. How many people who already own Disney Plus would just watch it on Disney Plus? How many people who don't have Disney Plus would pay for a subscription just to have access to those movies in the first two weeks so that they don't have to be left behind or stay off the internet to avoid spoilers? A lot of people would get Disney Plus just to watch those films on the first weekend that they're available for anyone to see. How many people would do both? How many people, I might be in this group, how many people would that first night would watch Secret Wars on Disney Plus on their own TV in their own home as soon as everyone else is able to if they've chose to and so that you can spend two weeks knowing what everyone else knows oh we also said we can we just just so that on monday you can go to the water cooler and say hey man did you see secret wars oh i totally did i got watched it on my big screen uh my surround sound my dolby atmos like all that um, I'm, oh i'm so that was cool i'll watch it on my phone yeah oh that's that's kind of lame but okay cool at least you got to see it you know whatever how many of those people would still go to theaters on the third weekend and say, all right, I've seen the film. I know what, I know what happens, but now I want to go watch it with a crowd. And I want to go watch it with all the people who didn't watch it on the internet. And I want to go watch it in a movie theater and experience it for the second time. How many people would do that? Maybe that's a hopeful middle ground, but stuff like that, there are people who prefer to go see blockbusters in theaters. I'm both for for the Marvel movies specifically. I see them in theaters because I want to see them first. It's not really about seeing them with a crowd for me as much as it is the movies available. I want to see the movies so that I don't have to spend two weeks off the internet and potentially get spoiled. So how many people would do both now? So we've gone through that scenario. How many people would, would all right. So Disney plus first theater second people might do both. Let's further complicate this. All right, Connor. Um, what if we put Secret Wars out on Disney Plus for the first two weeks? So you have to be a Disney Plus subscriber to see it. And like we did with Mulan, you need to pay a $20. No, sorry, Mulan, Mulan was 30 You need to pay $29.99 to stream. And now I guess keep. I don't know how they would do it with a new release like that. I guess with Mulan, we own Mulan on Disney. As long as we have Disney Plus, we have Mulan, the new Mulan. So, huh. I don't know what happens when they just released on Disney Plus. I guess we're just suckers. I don't know. Point is, all right, Connor. It's week. It's it's so it's 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 opening weekend. Disney Plus. We got your subscription. We got your six ninety nine. Now, for another twenty nine ninety nine, you get to watch Secret Wars, and you own it now on Disney Plus. I would pay that money to see Secret Wars on Disney Plus opening weekend. I would absolutely pay that money. I'm putting that out in the universe right now because I don't think one person saying they would pay Disney's prices is going to cause them to go, yes, let's go for it. I'm not going to lie. I would pay that. Not everyone would. The question is how many people are like me and how many people would go, nope, I'm going to wait. It's not that important. Few movies are that important to me, but the Marvel films, I have to see them right away. I have to. 
how many people, what it does do is it does take away that middle ground people. It takes away those people who go, oh, let's watch the movie first. Okay, cool. We saw that. Now when it opens in theaters in a couple of weeks, we're going to go pay to see it at the exhibitors. Those people no longer exist if you put a premium price on the streaming opening weekend. Think about it. You pay $6.99 to Disney+. Plus. You pay another $30 to watch this movie in its first run on opening weekend. And then two weeks later, you're going to go to the exhibitors and pay $15 to see it again with a crowd. You already paid $30 to watch it at home. You can go watch it at home again right now because you own the digital copy, you know, now because you paid for it. Why would you go see it at the exhibitors? Now, again, unless people really love the theaters and they really, really want to support the theaters and support the exhibitors, they're not going to spend a collective $50 to watch a film. I don't think I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to go to the theaters if I already paid for it once unless I really loved it. But again, if I really loved it, I'll just watch it on my TV again. So there's a few ways that could go. I just wanted to explore those because that's going to, that's, that, that's once they get that data and they figure out the, the analytics of how many people will watch opening weekend, how many people watch opening weekend if they have to pay, how many people watch opening weekend if they don't have to pay, how many people are going to go to the theaters if they've already seen it once, how many people are going to go to the theaters if they already paid to see it once. That all matters. And the theaters want to know that too, because that's directly tied to if, if people come to their theaters, you know, for them, it's like, all right, are we going to lose out on two weeks of, of revenue or are we going to lose out on all the revenue? But they did say they're going to keep putting movies out in theaters, but they may not be the first and they may not get any exclusivity window before the streaming happens. So the way I see it as the studio's, have the power here if they have the opportunity to put their own stuff now the theater what the theaters could do is say you know what if you're gonna do that if you're gonna put your movie right on your platform first weekend we're not gonna show it at all forget it because what there still is is there's still plenty of people out there who don't have disney plus who don't need disney plus don't want it and there's plenty of people so there's subscribers that disney's just never gonna get you're going to get the elderly, maybe, who don't care about streaming at all. I don't know why they'd be seeing an Avengers film, but the point is you have people out there who are not going to pay for a Disney Plus subscription. Um, whether it's out of principle or convenience, it's just not their thing. Um, so if the theater were to say, we're not going to show Secret Wars at all, if you're going to block us out of the first two weeks of making money, you know, F you, forget about it, you know. We're not going to, we're not, we're not going to play those in AMC theaters and let's say all the theaters do that. Yeah. Us too. Like that's BS. We're going to fill up our screens with other movies. You can't, we're not just going to pick up your sloppy seconds. Well, then Disney has a problem because how, because, because there's still plenty of people who would have only seen the film in theaters. Now there's a bunch of people who are not paying to see their film in any way. Maybe that will scare them into charging a premium price on Disney Plus. So if you are a subscriber and you're hoping to get to see first round movies for free, maybe you don't get to because of the way the theaters play this. Maybe you wouldn't have gotten to anyway. A little early to tell. I'm ex- I'm I'm um interested to see how that December 10th investors call goes. Uh I'm really interested to see how this goes. I really want to know what they're going to do. I'm prepared for most of these eventualities. I'm prepared to watch and experience films first on my television at home. I am. I really am. I'm prepared to pay for them at home as well. I really am. I am. They might even develop a, a premium uh, tier service where you pay more monthly and you don't have to pay for the first run movies. So if you pay for like regular ass Disney Plus, well, if you want to see a first run movie, you pay $29.99. Whereas if you're a premium member and you pay $12.99 a month, you don't have to pay anything for first run films. So it just comes down to it. How many first run films do you watch? If you watch two a year, why don't you stay down the regular Disney Plus um, subscription and just pay the flat fee, the $30 per first run film. But if you watch a new movie every weekend, you may as well... And, you know, and they're all Disney or Fox films, you may as well 
um, pay the premium price because you're saving a lot of money on not having to pay any flat fees for the first run movie. These are all ideas that uh, that anyone is free to pick up and use at their disposal. Because uh, I just think that I just I don't, I don't think I'm the first person to think of it this way. I think I think I think a lot of these distributors, a lot of these studios, a lot of these platforms, you've already thought of this. You don't have, you don't need me to tell you the best way to have people pay for your content. So uh, I think all these ideas are already out there. I'm just bringing them to the forefront for anyone who hasn't considered them, um, who likely is not in a boardroom at one of these companies. All right. Um, uh, I don't know. I have no idea how we're doing on time. So I'm just going to press along and finish up what I've got here. So there's that. Uh, oh, God, three more stories. All right. Let me breeze through these a little bit. We've got a story on deadline uh, to. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Please open it. Yep. Um, speaking of what's going to happen to the theaters, just a quick little comment to bolster this. This is on deadline. Ron Howard and Brian Grazer say the movie theaters will turn into Broadway. Um, so there's a little bit in here about how, um, you know, they don't think you're going to see masks that much in, in Hollywood movies that will easily mark, um, our times during coronavirus because they're not going to see movie, you know, there won't be much evidence of it on screen that it happened. Um, but obviously the experience is going to be changed and, um, they seem to think that, um, they're going to turn into more of a Broadway show type thing where there'll be an entertainment option, but not the entertainment option. It's all the stuff I just said, but just to hear it from these two guys, um, where all the words go. There we go. Um, uh, what do you say? Um, when it, um, let's see, yeah, there's no replacement for the, um, the, the theater experience. Um, let's see, uh, Howard, Ron Howard said that the theatrical movie going, I don't think it's going to evaporate. Even so he added, it will look a lot different on the other side. Quote, quote, the multiplexes are going to become a little bit like Broadway in a way. That's where the expensive projects go. It's to get as many people in there to create memorable events. So like I just said, put big budget in theaters, but you're not going to put mid budget in theaters. You're going to put them straight on Disney plus. Um, the article continues. Well, that's a natural environment for family fair horror and comedy. Howard said, there's also going to be a place for dramas playing on big screens, more sophisticated fair for perhaps older audiences. The exhibitors are going to find that price point. Um, and I agree with him on that sense. Like you could put mid budget on, on screens, but that's going to be up to what I predict will be a rise in independently or regionally owned specialty theaters that serve dinner and drinks because adults still want to go out and have an experience at a theater. And if you add food and drinks into the mix, you're more likely to get them to do that. So for every large theater that's waiting on sloppy second, um, theatrical releases from streaming services to try and make some money, you're going to have the specialty theaters that stayed alive because for diversifying their business model. So maybe they're still getting sloppy second, first run um, blockbusters, but maybe they are getting first run or same time run mid budget films for adults and adults who want to order a steak and have, you know, have a Jack Daniels or glass of wine and take a date and actually have an, a dining experience watching a movie in a theater um, paying a premium price for it and enjoying themselves. Or you've got people or you're, you're blurring the line you're, and you're showing episodes of TV shows. Maybe you go every Friday night, maybe you get to go watch the, you know, the next, um, you know, uh, again, bad example, cause it's a Disney show, but let's just say that, you know, you spend, um, eight weeks, you spend, you, let's say you spend eight every Friday for eight weeks, going to the local theater, paying a small ticket, a small ticket price. And you're watching the next episode of the Mandalorian with a crowd. Maybe it goes both ways is what Ron Howard and Brian Grazer are saying. It doesn't have to be one way where everything's flowing into the home. What if what was in the home, what if we changed the whole way we do this and we actually have shared viewing experiences for the small screen stuff. If we're going to isolate and do big screen stuff on the small screen with less audiences, why don't we bring small screen out into where there are more audiences? In which case, maybe this all reaches homeostasis. Maybe the market stabilizes because, oh, okay, well, theaters are movies are leaving theaters. Well, what can we populate theaters with? What would like to come into theaters? And again, maybe maybe the streaming services don't dare let their TV shows go out into theaters where exhibitors could make money off of them. But what if they do? Because again, or what if they do it again? Maybe you don't do it first run. Maybe you do a week delayed. I don't know. 
something. But for them, it's like, well, how do we get people who aren't paying for streaming services to come check our streaming services? Well, maybe they'll go to the local theater and they'll they'll pay and they'll watch that whole run of The Mandalorian. And they'll go, oh, man, I could have seen this a month ago on my TV. Well, I'll go pay for Disney Plus. You know, it, it, this this can all service each other uh, is what Brian Grazer and um, Ron Howard are hoping. So it's interesting to think of it that way, too. It's not all doom and gloom. The business is changing, period. So the question to me is, well, which way do you want to change? Like, which direction do you want to go? If it has to change, which way does, which way would I rather it go? That's not a bad way for me. Um, we've got news here for Fast and Furious Road will end after two more films, Justin Lin to direct both for Universal. So this is on deadline. This is another series that's been going on a long time, makes a ton of money in theaters for Universal, and they are finally saying, you know what, we are going to decide now that it's ending after two more films, and uh, they're going to be directed by Justin Lin, uh, who is probably the best director um, of that series for those movies, Um, so that'd be a lot of fun. I don't have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, Fun movies for a lot of people, dumb movies for other people, um, but they're moneymakers, and um, so... It's good that they're going out on their own terms before people start getting tired of them. Um, and so I, I, I wish the best for that series and for all the stars. And um, yeah, um, good for them. Good for them for ending it. It's, it's, it's a 20, it, by the time it finishes, it'll be over 20 years old. Um, that's a long franchise. Good for them. Good for Vin Diesel. Good for all those stars. Uh, this last one on Yahoo Entertainment, Shang-Chi wraps filming. Um so this weekend, the article says the Marvel Studios finished filming on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and Shang-Chi himself, uh, Simu Liu, thinks that some big things are in store for the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first film with an all-Asian cast. So he wrote on Facebook on Saturday, quote, For all of those who hated us because of the color of our skin or been made to feel less than because of it, no more. This is our movie, and it will be impossible for Hollywood to ignore us after this. That was his post. Uh, the uh, just, just in case you're um, living under a rock, there was a whole lot of discrimination and racism towards Asian actors in Hollywood for many decades, uh, just like there were for black people and women and other people of color. Um, it's uh, it was uh, hard for those people to get roles and when they could get roles they were extremely degrading and extremely simplistic and caricatured and uh you had to make like a moral choice of okay well do i need to do i want to stand for my principles and not be not make my whole culture on the national stage on the global stage look like a cartoon or do i want to eat and the compromising position that a lot of actors were put in for many decades of well, what do I do? This is my livelihood. This is my calling. And I want to make money and be successful in this industry. But it seems like the only way I can do it, if you're Asian, is to play, you know, a dragon lady, they would say. Uh, or if you're, if you know, or, oh, the black friend, or the best friend, or uh, just the, the main character's wife. Uh, so here's the part of, from this article, quote, For decades, Asian actors in Hollywood have struggled to stand out in film and TV. When roles intended for Asian actors weren't being given to white actors and heavy makeup. They were often heavily stereotyped and written in to support white leading roles. Bruce Lee, one of the first true global Asian film stars got his start as the sidekick Kato in the green Hornet. And even then he didn't get paid as much as, uh, Van Williams. Um, even though they had equal screen time. Um, so of course now lately that's all changing because we're decide we're finally waking up and going like oh wow that's terrible and we can lead a film with Asians and um, I don't know why we thought we couldn't that's so silly uh, so of course Marvel took a big step and said we're going to develop this character Shang Chi we're going to have the cast be all Asian we're going to tell a uniquely Asian story and you know for cynical reasons as well because they can distribute it and market it in China and make more money overseas because it appeals to the Chinese audience. <gasps> But who's who's paying attention to that? Uh, but it's also good for representation and diversity in Hollywood. There's it's different stories being told, different people being put on screen, and 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 stereotypes being broken down, and and bridges being built to other other cultures and other nationalities and races of where or ethnicities. Uh, instead of see, instead of those who see the Asian culture that way because of film, because of the damage that those roles in film have done, those people now get to experience 
um, just like Black Panther did, that they get to experience um, a whole different group of people as much more identifiable and and um, similar to them than they even thought of because of their limited scope. Uh, and so that's that's good. So while it's like, a, oh, wow, okay, buddy, cool, that's a strong Facebook post, uh, he's right, and he's right to be excited about it. And uh, that's that's cool. So, yeah. Okay, that's going to be it for the movie hour this week. I don't even know how long the episode was. I had to take a bunch of pauses, take a bunch of breaks. So we're going to end it now. Uh, I'll be back next week uh, to do another episode. i got other things I want to talk about, other movies, other uh, topics. And, uh, yeah, sure am glad that you joined. Again, at Connor underscore Dempsey on Twitter, at Dustin Weldon on Twitter, at HooperCast on Instagram, and on the Facebook. Um, yes. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Have a happy Halloween. Be safe. Please be careful if you choose to trick or treat. Um, if you don't, there's lots of cool stuff to watch. Um, we're gonna have movie night with my kiddos. Um, my kids and I are, and my family are go, all going as the Incredibles uh, for Halloween, and we're gonna watch the Incredibles movies on Halloween night. It's gonna be and eat some candy. It's gonna be great. But we're staying in. We are not trick or treating this year. And I hope uh, any everyone who um, who is. Uh, is careful and um, wears a mask. Please, please wear a mask. Uh, Okay, good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next time.